Welcome back to another edition of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritschner with you alongside Rick Broring. And hopefully none of you can hear the music playing right now. I'm in Somerset, New Jersey. Uh, there's batting practice going on on the field. But Rick and I are talking basketball, not baseball, and a little bit to talk about with actual basketball, Rick, over the last couple of weeks. The basketball tournament wrapped up, uh, I think, last night. Uh, Syracuse's alumni team uh, won last night on a crazy shot again the elam ending coming in clutch last night for the uh for the syracuse team it was a great way to end that game uh but xavier for the first time ever had a team in it and rick let's get your first impressions of how zip them up played a couple of weeks ago i thought in my opinion that it was everything that i think xavier fans have been asking for for years it reunited like two decades of xavier basketball and especially in that first game was really everything that uh that, that xavier fans have been looking for in the last few years yeah, first of all, I would say we, you and I both did a podcast together with the Roll Blob podcast guys. So go ahead and check their podcast out. It probably goes a little more in depth and you, they were behind the scenes and running it. So you can get a little more insight from them as well. But just sort of our quick thoughts wrapping it up. I think the big thing that stuck out to me was they needed that first game. Like if they go and flop, they play like they did the second night against the Buffalo alumni and that's the first game and I don't think this thing ever gets off the ground. I don't think it's something we're really talking about this week. And I don't think it's something they're talking about bringing to Cintas Center next year and continuing going forward. So the fact that they had that first half where all of these guys were just on full tilt, you've got JP launching a 28 footer and bearing it to start the game. You've got Mark Lyons being just fantastic, both entertainment wise and playing really well from a basketball perspective. Trayvon Blewett caught fire, had a couple phenomenal moves, shots. It was fun to watch. Now, I think the big thing is that roster was a little bit better when they first released it than what it actually was when they got to Columbus. So that hurt them a little bit. If they had the full roster with a guy like Kaiser Gates, especially in that mix, a little more depth to go, a little more rebounding. I think they have a better showing, especially that second night. Yeah, but to, to your point about JP, when you see JP lagging into the frame 10 seconds into the game, and then all of a sudden he hits a shot and then goes parallel to the floor, coming back down the other way, diving out of bounds for a loose ball. The, I mean, I, honestly, you talk about the first game, you probably could have stopped it after those 20 seconds and everybody would have been fine. Yeah, there were some people, there were some Xavier fans that were moist after those first 20 seconds, <laughs> that's for sure. It, got, it gave the people exactly what they wanted. And then it continued for another, like, you know, really that whole game was fun to watch if you were a Xavier fan. And that was one thing I heard a lot from people was like, I didn't really care about this going in. I didn't know what it was. And by halftime, I was all in and I loved it. And I was like reliving the glory days of some really good memories for Xavier fans. Yeah, no doubt. And and I think the cool thing, too, for a lot of people watching it was just like I said in the beginning, reuniting a lot of Xavier players that didn't even get to play with each other. Samaj Kristen, uh, Mark Lyons, getting to play with guys like Trayvon and JP, uh, you know, mixing all of those guys together. And Sean O'Mara, I mean, he looked great. Yeah, I thought that was one of my big takeaways, too, is maybe this is unfair to Sean, given that he's been playing professional basketball since he left Xavier, but I did not expect him to be in better shape than when he left. You're right. He looked phenomenal. I mean, he was moving well. He was getting off the floor well. Uh, his body was in great shape. And I thought he was, you know, him getting in foul trouble and then them not really having a good defensive matchup in the post for that second game is really what gave them trouble. I think had they had a little more depth or maybe had a more versatile defensive big man there to go along with Sean, they really could have had a nice front court. So obviously when you start talking about the future, you kind of know what's on the wish list right now. And that's fine. And whether it be Jalen Reynolds has been brought up. I know James Farr said that he was interested in playing going forward, which 
may not help you as much sliding his feet defensively, but he can add a little bit of an outside threat as well on offense. So there are definitely some options if you think about former Xavier players that you could add to that front court and, and really give this team a nice boost going forward for next year. And I thought Jeff Robinson had a great showing too. Yeah, I mean, for a guy that I, I think most people wouldn't have expected to see still playing basketball. Uh, and, and we got a great tidbit from CapEx on the podcast we did with him that Jeff was actually not even staying with the team in Columbus. He would drive home after the games, work his nine to five, and then just be like, see you guys. I'm going to zip people up on ESPN too. I'm going to catch a few <laughs> bodies on national TV and I'll see you in the morning. Like that's got to be a weird thing to be doing as a guy in your thirties, but God bless him for being 6'10 and a freak athlete. Yeah, so you wrap up that. Now it sounds like maybe there's a shot that you have the games at Cintas next year, which if you looked at the environment that Wichita State has had when they've hosted it and some of these other schools who have hosted uh, their own alumni teams, I, I'm not sure if Cintas would be sold out. I, I don't really know if you'd put 10,000 people in there, but you'd put a lot. The lower bowl would be full. Note. I, it would probably be – I don't know if you would agree with this. I, I think it would probably be – the same, maybe a little more than that NIT crowd a couple of years ago against Toledo. Do you think that's maybe comparable? I don't remember exactly what that NIT crowd looked like. Uh, the The lower bowl was full. Lower bowl was full. And then the upper bowl probably had the first two rows-ish uh, of people. I, I would say, or maybe like an exhibition crowd to start the season. When did Xavier play would, in the NIT? I'm drawing a blank on that completely. When were they in the NIT? Are you being serious or are you? Yeah, I'm being serious. I thought they had refused all NIT games re in recent memory. When was this? No, I'm that was the that was the Hankins year two years ago, nineteen, my senior year. Man, I forgot they even played in the NIT that year. I thought they had like turned it down. <laughs> Honestly, like I just deleted that from my memory. I'm not. I can't kidding. tell. I can't tell if Xavier put you up to this. This is not if... a bit. I'm being dead serious. I real like when you said that, I was like, <laughs> I don't remember being at that game at all. I swear to God, I don't remember being there. I believe I mean, it happened. I don't know if you were there, but it definitely be. happened. I'm sure a lot of people would like to delete it out of there. I was actually, it was kind of a fun game. But yeah, because then Xavier lost to, to Texas in the next round down at Texas. Yeah, I just Googled. Yeah, oh, that's right. I do remember the Texas game. 78-64, Xavier beat Toledo. And I mean, honest to God, that was on March 20th, 2019, <laughs> two years ago. And I completely forgot it existed. Well, yeah, it, that happened. I feel like it, for anybody that was there, I mean, maybe maybe the, the TBT could sell it. I really have no idea. I'm just I'm I don't just going think it would sell out. I'm thinking yeah. it'd be like probably more like a Musketeer Madness. Yes, uh, like a little bit better than a Musketeer Madness crowd. I don't. Again, I don't really remember the Toledo crowd. Otherwise, that's probably a great comparison. I wish I could. Uh, help you out there yeah right but but the thing is and not to knock the crowd size the people there in columbus if you like expand that and bring that energy to Cintas, the people in columbus i mean they had probably what a thousand fifteen hundred xavier fans that it was just like it was in charleston or anywhere else they were traveling to a, a early season tournament it was fantastic yeah and if you like look at the overall crowd for those tbt games realizing that there's 1500 from one school and it's not their home gym. Like that feels like they overtook the entire gym. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's probably what only like 3000 fans total at the game. Yeah. Probably at something best. in there. If that, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, so that was TBT. Stay tuned to see if, uh, if Cintas hosts it next year and Hey Rick, who knows? Maybe, maybe well, you and I wet the beak a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we were throwing that around, joking around on Twitter, but I think that's something that's actually going to be looked into and, and pursued is us potentially calling those games. And also, it sounds legit that, like, not that it's done yet, but they are very serious about trying to get 
TBT yes. to the CentOS Center. Xavier's on board. TBT seems like they're on board. Obviously, there's a lot of logistics that have to get worked out between now and then. But this is a very real thing from what it sounded like talking to Cap and, and some of those guys. Yeah, and I don't think it's just residual energy from them and you know everybody being on a high because of how it went. I think it's a, a serious conversation, like you said, that people are having. Um, but yeah, so, so now we move in a little bit to some behind the scenes of what's going on right now, building the teams for the future. A lot of stuff going on with recruiting, uh, July recruiting wrap up. There was a ton to talk about from what you posted on the message board the other day. Uh, but what are some of the highlights uh, from the July recruiting period, peach jam, some things that the Xavier coaches are looking at uh, and everything like that? Well, like you said, I mean, there's been consistent updates on the, the message board. So if you're trying to follow the story and figure out exactly where things are going and you see names and then they disappear and you see new names, all of that, you can kind of follow that whole timeline on the message board more easily. But just talking about where they're at right now in the 2022 class, you have Cam Craft committed, who's like a top 100 talent. You have Tyrell Ward committed, who's a top 50-ish talent. And based on what he did at Peach Jam and, and what a lot of people are saying nationally, seems like he might move up in, in inside that top 50 and maybe even farther. So uh, two really nice commitments already. Both of them played fantastic at the Peach Jam and took home different superlatives from media outlets, both more bucket getters. Cam Craft is an elite shooter, even though he didn't shoot all that well from the outside, but he's a lot more than that. He can really create off the dribble. He plays well off of ball screens. He has a great mid-range game. Tyrell Ward is such a handful of an athlete at 6'7", long and explosive, and yet he's also got a handle to him. His outside shot has really improved a lot. That was one thing that when he committed, I felt like I was higher on his outside shot than a lot of other scouts were based on right upside scene. But I also know I didn't know Tyrell Ward as a prospect until the last year. So I hadn't seen the progression where he had struggled with a shot as he was younger. And I think some scouts had seen him when he was younger, hadn't gotten the chance to see him more recently. So they were lower on his shot. I think at this point, He's a guy who's he's, he's not a knockdown shooter from three-point range by any stretch of the imagination, but he's a threat and he's getting better. So uh, you, you package that with a six-seven athletic frame who can handle the ball, and you've got a guy who has a chance to be one of the most dangerous three-level scorers in the entire conference when he arrives in the Big East. So two impact guys I think people are really high on. Now the key is go find a point guard, I think. And you talk about some of that a little bit. Sean Jones, somebody that narrowed down his list the other day. Xavier on his final three with Marquette and Pitt. Uh, are you hearing anything about Sean Jones and what Xavier's prospects are like? Maybe what his timeline is, anything like that? Yeah, and that's another one that we've been talking about the, on the message board constantly. So there's a con ton of context to go with this. If you're really into this stuff, highly suggest just read through the message board because it'll give you a better feel. But right now, Xavier is definitely in the mix. Like you mentioned, he's in their top three. But there's also been this new name, Desmond Claude, who Xavier offered at the end of June. They really watched him a ton, pursued him hard during July. I think he's right up there as the top prospect at point guard, maybe even their preferred target now. So they're in the mix. Top three for Sean Jones, definitely. They still like him. I also say Marquette probably pursued him a little bit harder during the month of July based on what I could tell and watching where coaches are going and everything. Um, but Xavier was there a lot too. So I think it's probably... Xavier or Marquette for Sean Jones, if I had to guess. Marquette with a slight lead maybe right now. Uh, but again, that's always 
something that's developing and evolving. Uh, but Desmond Claude is really one of the new names to to keep an eye on if you're a Xavier fan. I think he's the guy that raised his profile or his recruiting stock the most in the eyes of Xavier coaches during the month of July. Do you have an opinion yourself on either of those guys between what they could bring to the table, maybe what Xavier would prefer in one or the other? Well, I think the biggest thing right now with all their point guard prospects, and that included Denver Anglin, who ended up committing to Georgetown a week ago. Um, Another guy, Ben Stolzberg, who's out on the West Coast and being recruited by Danny Peters. They're all good options. They're all good enough to play at Xavier, clearly. So it's not like Xavier's trying to figure out, is this guy good enough or not? It's four guys who are all good enough. Which is the best guy for us and who fits best with our personnel that we're going to have? And that gets tough in today's day and age when you have the transfer portal. Guys rarely stay for four full years of their career at the same school, even if things are going well. They just want to move on and play professionally or what have you. So it's tough to to fit all those pieces together, and that's what makes recruiting hard and an inexact science. But I think right now, from Xavier's perspective, they're looking at a situation where you've got Dwan Odom with three more years of eligibility after this one, if he wants them. And so you're probably trying to find a piece that fits really well with him. And I think from that perspective, Desmond Claude is a really nice fit because he's six, five, you can play those two together. He he gives you something different defensively. I think it makes sense on the flip side, Sean Jones, a similar player to Desmond Claude in terms of they're not great outside shooters. They're more creators off the bounce, but Sean Jones is five ten. So he's short, just like Dwan. I, you're probably not going to play those two guys on the court together a whole lot, unless you're just going full Arizona State like they did with three <laughs> sub six foot point guards a couple of years ago at Thanksgiving time and smacked Xavier around with that, that team. But I think that's kind of where it stands. Is like you said, trying to find the best fit to go with Dwan and some of those other guys that you've already got in the fold. And right now, my guess would be that's probably Desmond Claude. We're going to talk to the new director of recruiting for Xavier, Jordan Brooks, here in just a few minutes about a lot of that stuff and and how Xavier is approaching a lot of that. But for right now, uh, July's recruiting period is done. So what are the Xavier coaches doing right now, Rick, that you've been hearing? And how do you have uh, do you have any nuggets to share on the new team, uh, on this year's team, and what Xavier's coaches are focusing on right now? Yeah, well, the big thing is now that the July evaluation periods are over, from a recruiting perspective, they really have a good feel for where they're at, the guys they like, who they want. And that's not just for 2022. That also is 2023. Because when you're able to land two guys early on and two really talented guys early on, like they were in Cam Craft and Tyrell Ward, it gives you a little time to start working on the next class as well. So they've definitely got some nice headway. They've got a really good plan in place. They're really organized right now. And they know what they're looking for and what they need in 2022. So that's great from a 2022 perspective. They can move forward with full force, really target the guys they want, spend a lot of time on them, make sure they get them to campus, all of that type of stuff. With the current team, they're finishing up their last week of summer workouts this week. And uh, a lot of that has been skill work. You know, it's not as much team-oriented, install, running through your offense and defense and stuff. It's more working on getting the guys better, you know, the, one of the big stories that we talked about with Travis Steele on this very podcast was restructuring Dwan Odom's entire shot. So I know that's something that's been a big focus during these skill workouts, but I've heard a, a lot about guys like Jerome Hunter, a newcomer who was coming off an injury. I think he's really turned some heads and, and been more of a physical presence and, and competitive force in practice and workouts than they may be expected coming in based on what they had seen on video. They obviously knew he could shoot it from the outside and he's done that well. Also, uh, 
Good word on Jack Nungy. It sounds like he's healthy. He's been moving well, not full contact or anything like that. He didn't participate in the scrimmage against the TBT guys, but he is, you know, feeling, feeling good and looking good from everything that I've heard uh, returning guys. It's what you'd expect. You know, a, a lot of positive praise for Colby Jones. Deontay miles is, is getting a lot of uh, hype right now for the work he's done in workouts. And uh, I think Adam Kunkel, I've heard good things about his leadership and his shooting as well. So, you know, it's at this point, it's all good things that you're hearing. You're not going to hear like, yeah, so-and-so went one for 12 yesterday in, in our <laughs> three-point shooting drill. But it's it's all the stuff that you would want to hear if you're a Xavier fan right now. And I think the two biggest things are probably Dwan's shot being completely rebuilt and Deontay Miles. Just everyone seems to talk positively about him. So Dewan, I mean, Ray Allen, is that what we're going to be working with here? <laughs> well, Travis told us that the target here, the goal here is Kawhi Leonard a guy who shot really poorly in college. And when he first got to the league, a guy with a very mechanical kind of not pretty shot, they think Dwan can build himself into that. And, you know, obviously if he reaches Kawhi Leonard status as a shooter, <laughs> that'll work just fine for them. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but it seems like Dwan has really taken to it well and, and is comfortable with what they're doing. Uh, so we're going to move here into a conversation with Xavier's new director of recruiting, Jordan Brooks. Should be a great conversation. Uh, he's taken over, and Trey Scotty, a name that Xavier fans have heard a lot about in the last few years. Trey's been around the program for over four years now. He's moved his way up. He was a GA. He was uh, he worked a lot in the video department, and then eventually on the 1st of July, he was promoted to being the director of basketball operations. But Trey, uh, who's always had coaching aspirations, he is going to move down to Atlanta and be the Skill Factory High School National Team head coach, which basically, to me, Rick, kind of is reminiscent uh, for Xavier fans that might be following this to like a prolific prep where it is a, a, a basketball-focused uh, kind of a team and the school happens in a different area. Is that kind of this, this, what you're hearing from that too? I'll be honest. I'm not sure exactly how all that works. I didn't know there was as much the school thing, the school part of it. I knew um, the skills factory has like a Nike EYBL team that, yeah. that plays like on the grassroots circuit on all that. So I believe he'll be doing that. I don't know. I don't want to get too into it. Cause I honestly don't know all the details of like what the teams he is coaching. I know two things that he is going to be the head coach of whatever this program is and that he is going to be around a bunch of really talented guys in that area of the country right now. It's loaded for the next couple of classes. So it's not going to be bad for Xavier to have a friendly face uh, around a bunch of talented prospects. And Trey is going to be a guy who works his way back into a college program sooner than later would be my guess. I would also point out that Matthew Graves, the former director of ops or, or actually special assistant head coach, I think yeah. is what they named him. He went to Indiana state as associate head coach. So that is the position that Jordan Brooks took was Matthew Graves spot on the staff. They have restructured the staff and the positions <laughs> and how that, and we'll talk with Jordan about that. So it's probably good time as any, just bring him in right now. Sure. Welcome in Jordan Brooks, the new director of recruiting at Xavier and Jordan. First of all, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing fantastic. So let's get a little bit of your background here, uh, where you come from and, and what brought you to Xavier and some of the things that you're excited about with joining the Musketeer family. Yeah, man, I'm actually I'm actually from the Washington, uh, D.C. Uh, metropolitan area. I actually grew up right outside of Washington, D.C. in Prince George's County. And, uh, you know, prior to me being here at 
Xavier University now. Um, I spent two years at Southeastern Louisiana University. And uh, before that, I was at Howard University um, in Washington, D.C. Uh, for two years there as well. So that's just a little bit about my background. And prior to coaching collegiately, you know, I spent time in grassroots uh, basketball, coaching with Team Takeover on the Nike EYBL, helping to start up Team Durant on the EYBL, and, um, and also New World AAU. Jordan, that coaching on the grassroots circuit has become kind of a nice stepping stone move for a lot of up and coming coaches. It gets you around top prospects. It, it creates relationships. And it also, obviously you get to meet a lot of coaches that are become recruiting all those kids from your programs. You coach for some of the, the biggest names in the DC area and really across the whole nation because of the talent rich area that is the DMV. What was that experience like for you and how did that propel your career into the college ranks? Yeah. I mean, um, I think obviously, you know, like you said, uh, you're 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 actually coaching with and against some of the top prospects throughout the country. You know, you're working camps, you're doing things like that. You're developing relationships with coaches who are, you know, re- recruiting um, some of the players that might be playing for you and who are in your program. So, you know, I think a lot of times you're starting to see a lot of young coaches come up through grassroots, just like like I said, from based off of you know, building relationships with, with um, you know, some of the top prospects and also, you know, spending years coaching with these programs, you know, developing relationships with a lot of different college coaches throughout the years. The relationships are such a big part of the basketball community and really any job that you're, you're trying to go into, but especially in this field, who were some of those influential people that led you into coaching that helped shape you as a coach? Yeah. Um, Wow, I don't really. It's a it's a lot of guys who I actually, you know, really look up to, and who mentor me, you know, uh, in the business. Um, I grew up playing with DC Assault, so I grew up playing with Michael Beasley, um, Nolan Smith, um, Austin Freeman, Chris Joseph, all those guys. Um, and at the time, you know, my AAU coach growing up was a uh, was actually David Cox. Um, he coached me for 16 and under and 17 and under. Um, and David Cox is actually the head coach at um, Rhode Island University right now. Um, so um, I would kind of consider him as someone who's been really, really influential, you know, in my career. Also, I would I would say, you know, my former head coach, Kevin Nickelberry, he was actually my college head coach at Hampton University. I would also say, you know, Mike Pagese, who's at Louisville, he was uh, he was actually uh, coached with David Cox um, in D.C. Assault. Um, so he's somebody who actually, uh, you know, who influences who's influential in you know, in my career as well. But, you know, there's too many to name. But, you know, those those few um, I would I would actually, you know, consider the most um, really David Cox. When you come here to Xavier, this new director of recruiting position is something that's really changing in the landscape of college basketball right now. What are some of your roles and responsibilities and things that you look at in your day-to-day job? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, you know, the biggest the biggest thing for me right now is Coach Steele actually, you know, actually wants me to try to, you know, do 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 the legwork for a lot of for him and the other assistant coaches. Um you know, and, and, and identifying who the 
the younger talent is who's going to be in the 23 and the 24 class. Um, Cause right now, you know, we're focused on, you know, 22s, but he actually wants to kind of get a grip on who the next upcoming prospects are going to be. So, you know, just recognizing and understanding, you know, who those, who those recruits and who those prospects will be in the upcoming years. Well, without asking you to give away too many of your industry secrets, uh, you mentioned identifying those guys. Is it a lot of watching film? I'm, I, I, you're not allowed on the, the road for the evaluation periods, right? But like, how, how do you come across these guys? Is it a lot of calling and working relationships in different parts of the country? Or how do you go about that? Yeah, um, like I, I really don't want to kind of give away too, too much. But, <laughs> I you, know, if, you know, just watching a lot of film and just um, – you know, watching a lot of highlight tapes and things like that um, is, is, is what I do to try to recognize who the top upcoming uh, recruits will be in the future. How familiar were you with Xavier's basketball program prior to getting the job? You mentioned Mike Pegues. Obviously, he was at Xavier for a while. Is he someone you reached out to to find out more about it? Or what was that like when you were looking to, to take this job on? Well, I was really, really, I've been familiar with the Xavier program, you know, for a while now, man. I mean, Xavier, when you think of Xavier, you just think of their rich tradition in basketball. And, you know, it's a very, the culture, how the culture is and everything. So, um, you know, I grew up playing to get um, to Holloway in AAU. And, you know, when he went to Xavier and just following, seeing the, the run that they made when he was there and, you know, even even from the recent years from when, when in the big East in, uh, you know, 2018. So I was very familiar with Xavier and when Travis still gave me the opportunity, man, I thought it was a no brainer, um, for me to come here, to be a bar, to be a part of something, you know, with a, with a rich tradition and, and the culture that's established here at the university. You mentioned the opinion of others and people look at Xavier as a tradition, rich program it is that how it's seen in recruiting in other parts of the country? Because obviously all the Xavier fans listen to this. They think very highly of where Xavier is now in the Big East and how far they've come. But we have seen Xavier recruit at a higher level over the last 10 years, certainly, but even more so over the last five. Is that the opinion of people in the East Coast and people in the DMV area and people in the South? Is, is that Xavier is a, is a good spot and a, a tradition-rich program? I really I can't speak for other people, but, you know, with me being a, a, a basketball guy and from the DMV and the East coast, I would say that, you know, when you think of Xavier, you think of, you know, a, a winning, a winning culture and a winning tradition, um, a great basketball program, you know? So I would say, I think others would, would, would believe that as well. You were also mentioning Travis Steele there during the hiring process. What is Travis Steele like? during the hiring process? Because we hear so many different things and, and how he can be a unique guy and the way he talks to people. What was it like for you when you were uh, getting to know him and going through that process? Yeah, Travis was great, man. He was great, you know, throughout the process and throughout us building a relationship, man. It was, it was really, really, it was really good, man. I thought that, you know, our first conversation that we had went really, really well. Um, and I think part of that has to do with you know, us having similar backgrounds and how Coach Steele, um, you know, how he got in the business and him coaching AAU and, um, you know, with me starting off my coaching career in AAU, I think, you know, that kind of 
we hit it off really right from there. And it, it was just the relationship that we built over time and the talks that we were having, man, I think, you know, that played a huge role in it. And, um, you know, he told me that he's seen a lot of himself in me. And I think, you know, that's kind of um, what built a great rapport with me going through the process with him. It sounds like you're pretty familiar with Xavier as far as everything like that's concerned. But Jordan, have you been to the Cintas Center for a game before or is November going to be your introduction to a sold out Cintas Center? I've never been to a game. I've never been to a game at the Cintas Center yet. Um, I haven't I haven't seen a game yet. Oh, well, I've seen a game. I've seen you guys play, but I haven't been to one personally. Um, but speaking with the staff and speaking with everyone around the program, you know, the excitement and everything that the energy that they say this is going to have, man, I'm, I'm super excited about it. I mentioned to you when we were setting this up that we had talked to Coach Steele and, you know, obviously I, I talked to people around the program a lot. So I've heard some about the, the workouts and things that the current team is going through right now, but you offer a unique perspective because you haven't seen these guys yet in person, haven't worked them out yet. Uh, you just got your first taste over the last several weeks. Can I ask you about a, a couple guys maybe and what stood out? Like uh, we've heard a lot about Deontay Miles. What's been your, your take on his process and, and his game so far? Yeah, just, just watching him throughout the last couple of weeks, man. I think Deontay Miles is someone who, you know, he puts a ton of pressure on the rim, man. He's going to be, he's going to be, Really, really good. I mean, the steps that I've seen him take over the last couple of weeks, man, I think he's going to bring, you know, a lot of energy and he's going to bring a presence defensively, really protecting the rim. Dwan Odom is another guy we've talked a lot about with Coach Steele because he was reworking his whole shot, according to Coach Steele. Have you seen that new shot form and, and how's it going for him? Yeah, it's been going, it's going really, really well, man. I think you know, Dewan's he's been putting a ton of hours in the gym. And um, I think this this upcoming season, man, you guys are going to be able and the fans are really going to be able to see how much work and time that he's been putting into his game. Another young guy who made a really good impression last year. I think people are expecting a big sophomore leap for him is Colby Jones. How's Colby been doing? Kobe's been great, man. He he pretty much does everything, man. He's going to guard. He's been guarding. Um, he scores. He's been vocal. He's been being a leader, man. He's been in the gym. Um, you know, I'm super excited about seeing him on the floor this year as well, man, and just seeing his work ethic and seeing how hard, not just him, but all these guys, that time and energy that they've been putting in to get better, man. You know, it's, 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 it's great, man. Just seeing the culture and how, how good that these guys want to be. One more name, if you don't mind the, the freshman big man, Cesar Edwards is a guy that has turned a lot of heads, at least from a fan perspective that they see the clips being sent out on social media of him hitting the jump shots and stretching the floor. Is that, is that really a part of his game? Can he shoot at the level that it looks like he can in those uh, clips? Yeah, he can definitely shoot, man. Um, he can definitely shoot. He's the floor. He has a soft touch and, um, you know, he's a worker, man. He's a freshman, but, you know, I'm sure he understands. He understands what it takes to be great. And, you know, he, he can make them shots. He can make open shots and he, and not just, he puts the time and he puts the work in. So, um, I think that's what, you know, why he's been having success this summer and getting better. 
Well, Jordan, thanks so much for taking a few minutes and talking with us. Really appreciate it. And uh, excited to see you at the Cintas Center this winter and, and to have a full crowd behind you. Should be a great season. No, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks to Jordan Brooks for joining us there. Hope you all enjoyed this episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. And thanks to everybody that left a rating and a review in Apple. It's nice, to, nice, Rick, to see some kind words in there from the Xavier Faithful on, uh, on Apple's reviews. But uh, stay tuned for an episode here probably again in, in a few weeks as we get closer toward the season. But uh, for Rick, I'm Paul. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the Musketeer Report podcast.